Good afternoon and welcome to Strategies for Keeping Clinicians Trained Up on Key Apps, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by 314E. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Donna Roach, CIO at University of Utah Health, Dr. Lee Milligan, SVP and CIO at Asante, and Ryan Surratt, Director of Training and Development at 314E. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Donna, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, happy to. So I had been the CIO, I, I was saying for a little bit, for 18 months, I'm coming up on 20 months now. So I, I've <laughs> almost been here for two years. So I, I, I'm pushing my two-year mark. Uh, the, so the University of Utah Health is located in Salt Lake City in Utah. We are a five-hospital um, system, uh, soon to add a six-one uh, into our mix we have a about 2 million um, patient visits that take place every year. We're very much growing in our footprint. If you think about um, Salt Lake City, we are right up against the Wasatch Mountain Range. Uh, interesting fact about um, University of Utah Health, we are embedded into the University of Utah. So we're, we're kind of all combined together. Uh, we are a five-state uh, quaternary referral in the Mountain West. So we are the only academic medical center in a five-state region. And so we bring, we have a tremendous amount of um, partnerships out in those other states that are have very rural uh, systems or sometimes access to care. So that's a, a big component of what we do. Uh, I would say last year we had about a 30% growth. So interestingly enough, our margins did quite well. When you I see all of these other organizations that took hits, our margins have done quite well. So, um, you know, I think more credit to our executive team and to our staff who really helped manage the expense side uh, during the pandemic. So very good. Thank you, Donna. Lee? Hey, y'all. Lee Milligan, CIO for Asante Health System in Oregon. We're a three-hospital system in Southern Oregon, serving about nine counties in Northern California in Southern Oregon. About 100,000 ER visits per year, about $1.1 in annual revenue. Uh, we have an ACO. It's been set up for about five years now. We're still kind of plodding along with that best we can. Um, and it's a super high-quality health system. We've won proven top 15 health system nine years in a row. The only other system that can claim that is Mayo. All three hospitals are CMS five-star. We take quality very seriously here, and we've attempted to leverage the heck out of technology to uh, be a part of that quality journey. Thank you, Lee. Ryan? Hi, I'm Ryan Sarah with 314E, and I'm the director of training. Uh, 314E provides consulting services around technology and technology implementation. Um, so we also work very, very deeply into data management and also training, um, which is where my expertise falls. 
All right. Very good, Ryan. Thank you. All right, Donna, we're going to start with you. Please discuss the challenges around providing users with software training and or support in the following scenarios. New employees, existing employees on new software, and existing employees on changes to existing, existing software. And I think one of the theories is that that third one is the trickiest uh, to manage. But anyway, take us through that. Yeah. So, you know, I have a training department, you know, just in what I would call our IT shop of around 38 FTEs. So they are a makeup of e-learning developers, instructional designers, uh, classroom, virtual training and phone support. Um, We do about 7,500 hours of classroom training a year. So kind of, I wanted to give you that picture of what we do. I would say for our new employees, it's actually, we're, we're pretty structured and we work really well with HR and bringing the new employees in. I think the hardest thing is, and, and a lot of you might um, identify with this, is more the con- contract people, um, getting them access into the systems so that it can kick off some of their training. Um, that, you know, access into the LMS is sometimes a little trickier, but for the most part, we get really good feedback. We we ask for feedback after our training for the new employees and, and do a fairly thorough job of that. Um, existing employees, I think the hardest thing is the outreach that we need to do and making sure that um, we do it at a multi-tier level. They can sign up through LMS, but it's also, we do a lot of at-the-elbow support, so we can do just-in-time training for them. Um, the the last one, and it's kind of interesting you bring that up, that that may be the hardest. And I think, so we're, we are primarily an Epic shop, and I think we've done a lot of different ways in which to do outreach of training to people. So it's not just one size fits all. Right. And we make sure that we have things like um, uh, sending out different um, training material that is either just in time videos or they can sign up for uh, an in-classroom training event, which I think is really good. I have a whole uh, physician informatics team that um, will come at the elbow because sometimes it's very difficult to get physicians to sign up and to uh, do some of the training programs. But we really try to approach it in a multi-tier way so that we can kind of capture, you know, people during before the upgrade goes in or before there's significant changes in the system. You know, you know, we're not perfect. People fall through the cracks. And so it's kind of that at the elbow um, when we do go live, that's really critical. Um, one of the um, um, pieces I didn't bring up is we have um, phone support hours. And for as many hours as we do in the classroom, I have just as many hours of um, phone support that take place. So about 7,500 hours a year. You know, we're about 14,000 employees uh, on the health uh, hospital and clinic side. So kind of put that in perspective. Very good, Donna. Thank you for that. Lee? Yeah, I agree with everything uh, Donna said about kind of framing it up. Uh, for us, we spend about $3.1 million a year on training. Training really is that that last mile of really getting everything you need to get out of your investment. I, I've jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, told my team that they're really the, the technology full-value extraction team, right? Mm-hmm. Because they allow us to be able to get 
that full value out of that incredible investment that we're that we're making. And that applies to everything, right? It applies to, I think about, I sit down in my car, there's buttons on there. I don't know what they do, right? Um, and so there's always something like that. And maybe there are some buttons that doesn't really matter, but there's probably some buttons that would be nice for me to know, right? And it's the same thing with technology. There's always aspects that we can, we can uh, leverage that we're not currently leveraging. In terms of the breakdown of these three categories, new employees, as Donna mentioned, is the easiest. It's very structured. We have a very specific approach to that. It gets a little dicey with folks who are added on last minute. We've had folks, you know, start in the NICU and we got three hours warning. So that, that makes it a little difficult for the team. Our team has risen to the occasion and, you know, jumped on it to, to fix it. Um, existing employees on new software, um, that gets challenging because pulling people out of their clinical scenario is always a dogfight. And operations folks, God bless them, but they never understand the value of the training as it relates to how efficient their staff will ultimately be. So like Donna, we take a variety of, pro of approaches there. One of the ways we do it is, um, is we try to incorporate it into their current meetings. So for example, for the physicians, the hospitalists, for example, when we have a pretty, um, a pretty deep bench when it comes to our physician builders and clinical informaticists, or physicians. And what they do is they actually carve out dedicated time at each staff meeting each month. And they actually meet in a room with computers. So they can go over a few of those, those things. And then in terms of the third bullet point there, existing employees on changes to existing software. You know, we take, we're an Epic shop. They release quarterly upgrades. We don't take them quarterly. We take them twice a year. And we, we try to strike that balance between upsetting people's Apple cart and also at the same time, allowing them to have access to new stuff. And so we feel like that's a reasonable, reasonable balance. Epic didn't like it, but it, it really works for us. Prior to those twice a year upgrades, we have this all out effort to get folks to understand the key elements of it. Everything from our physician advisory councils to we have kiosks set up in the hospital to rounding at the clinics and kind of um, showcasing uh, these new elements. So it's really a multi-modal approach. And I would say it's imperfect, but certainly better than it was before. Yeah, and Lee, I would add, you know, I think we probably do something very similar in that they the communication prior to an upgrade or change is pretty good. I mean, because of the, you mm -hmm. want your physician and your clinician population to really know about the upgrade. So sometimes the training or the the you know, covering off on how to do it is, is kind of anticlimactic, right? It's like, yeah. they already know about it. Um, I think, and I'm wondering, you know, just one of the things that we struggle with a little bit is how, you know, um, so we've done it and now we can kind of see at the elbow how they're doing. It's how well, how well have they ingested the material? I think we mm -hmm. need to get better at that. Because we know it's like, like I said before, we know where it's not perfect. It there's got to be ways that we can improve upon some of the materials so that when somebody hits the new upgrade, that's they're hitting it, and it's a you know they're it's actually um, it, the learning curve is very small for them, and so they can kind of use the the new functionality very quickly. Do you that's do a, anything like in yeah, that? that? That is such a great point, and the the vendors, Epic or whoever. Um, you know, they want to they want to showcase their features, 
And I get that. I, if I was developing software, I'd want to showcase the heck out of this cool feature. The docs and nurses don't care. They want to understand within their workflow what is going to change and how will they navigate that change. And so one of the things we've attempted to do is every time lessons and training plans come, come out, we try to adapt them specifically to the workflow of the individual who will experience it. And that for us has really made a big difference. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ryan, uh, there's a ton there. Um, I'd like to get your reaction to anything you've heard. Yeah, I'm taking great notes. I think, um, you know, one thing that both Donna and Lee had kind of spotlighted is, you know, um, what I call personalized training. That one size doesn't really fit all. And that using different modalities to reach people is definitely one of the keys to success to these ongoing changes. Um, I think, you know, we live in a world where there's a lot of information flying at us and helping the physicians um, sort through that like what Lee was talking about is making sure that this is what's important and this is how you're going to apply this and doing some of that work for them is definitely something that I've seen in very successful organizations. Lee, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the dynamic you described with Epic putting out upgrades four times a year and you only taking them twice a year. Um, obviously that was a major decision what are, what are you losing? What are you gaining? And, and I guess it was too much disruption to, to do this four times a year to put everyone through this. We just can't do it. We're going to do it twice. Uh, but take me through that. Yeah. I mean, in, in theory, I like what Epic has done here. I, you know, I recall when we were doing it every, you know, twice a year or uh, once every two years, once every 18 months. And those are big changes. So the idea of kind of breaking that apart and having smaller, more incremental changes makes sense. The challenge is you have to do the same amount of work, right? You have to do all the same testing. You gotta test everything from end to end. And so if you do it that way, your team is all they're doing <laughs> is preparing for the next upgrade. And they're not working on you know, capital projects or optimization requests, even break fix sometimes can get put in the back burner. And so we had to strike that balance between how do we get the most amount of new stuff in front of our um, folks using the technology uh, while at the same time, not breaking the back of our IT team attempting to get that out there. And so far, it seems to have struck the right balance for us. We'll reassess as time goes on, uh, but for now, it seems to work pretty well. Donna, you 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 seem to describe uh, one of the challenging aspects is may not be actually providing the training, but it's determining to what degree that it's been absorbed. To what degree has the information that's been communicated about these upgrades been absorbed? Can you talk a little bit more about uh, working through that and trying to determine that? Yeah, I think that's where we really um, rely on our informatics team. So I have a physician informatics team and a nursing informatics team that do a lot of work of um, being at the elbow. We also have a learning um, dashboard that kind of helps through that process. But you can, you know, it's got to be multi-tiered. Like I can't just depend on, um, the folks that are kind of in the trenches. I think you can look, we, we utilize ServiceNow, for example, and doing that analysis in ServiceNow to see, well, how well are we doing? Um, you know, what are the tickets that are coming in that are, are kind of uh, questionable? Um, I do a lot of rounding with my CMIO and I, I am always astonished 
when I go out there and I hear how they're using the system, you know, whether it was shortly after an upgrade or before, you know, coming into an upgrade. And, and you just can see that, you know, they're trying to make it work as best as possible, but it, this is not what we in, wanted or intended for them. So it's kind of going back and having different ways to approach the improvements. And I think, um, I think we do a, a good job of um, working with people, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in groups, because we do, we have a big group called our value officers, where we, we make sure that are we delivering on things that we said that we would deliver on. But I think it's, it's spending time making sure that, okay, did the training, did the upgrade do what we said it was going to do? Is it achieving what we want it to do? We actually take three upgrades a year. So we do probably one more than, than <laughs> Lee. Um, and, and some of that is, you know, in my mind, some of that's trying to get to more the, the baseline of, um, of the, of the system, because the more you're, you haven't done some of those um, specializations, optimizations in the system, it's easier to take some of those upgrades. So it, it's kind of getting people like through some of the changes. I think I tell people one of the best things that um, our, you know, our smartphones, our Apple phones and um, the, the uh, Android phones have done is they just push out upgrades. And so it's kind mm. of learning in time, right? Like, oh, here's, here's what changed on your phone. And, and so the little things that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, people would get all upset about, they changed the colors, they move this around, you know, some, some of what we've been indoctrinated with on our iPhones and Android phones, it's like, it's, it's, you know, we've already set the stage for these changes are going to always happen. Now let's look at the bigger changes or the improvements in functionality. And so it's kind of like taking it to that next level. Ryan, uh, so Donna takes three upgrades a year. Uh, Lee takes two and Epic wants four. So do you have any advice there for people on the line regarding how they should navigate that? Should they do just what the vendor recommends or what are they looking at internally to decide how often to do these things? Yeah, I don't I don't think that there's one right answer. I think it really um, working in a lot of different organizations that I've seen different models work. Um, when um, I personally have taken double upgrades, I don't recommend those to anyone uh, when they were year long. So two years worth of upgrades was very, very hard to do. But you know, the idea is, and I think that we're seeing this more and more in the information age, is that smaller chunks of information are easier for people to understand and apply to their work. So by having more more but smaller upgrades, mm -hmm. the idea is hopefully instead of teaching you 20 things, I'm teaching you 10. And hopefully we can support those and do really well at the 10. And then there is a higher frequency. But different organizations, I think culture, there's a large cultural component to that. Uh, doing four, I know that talking to some people that they feel like they, they do work on the upgrade constantly is that it's like, congratulations, we finish. Tomorrow we start the next one. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a balance there that needs to be struck. And any advice regarding the issue of uh, post-training um, analysis to determine if the information was absorbed? I, I think the, the 
And going back to what Donna was saying, the clinical informatics teams that are actually working elbow to elbow is really the way that you look and you can measure that. And um, you know, are people using the um, the suggested workflows or the new tools in the way that they're designed? Um, just because there's a new feature doesn't mean that people are applying it the way that the analyst built it. Um, I, we see that quite often. That if you um, that it's like, okay, I have these tools, I'm doing the best I can with them, but it might not be optimized. By doing the elbow to elbow support, by getting out and doing uh, the coaching and going, oh, did you, if you click on this, this will bring up these screens, which will then automate this workflow. And because some things, sometimes things are missed. And really, you have to individually find that out from people. There's not an easy answer to that for sure. Lee, we, we did a webinar on this topic uh, a few months ago with 314E, and one of the CIOs uh, mentioned this, talked about a situation where one of their vendors, um, there was a change to the software. Apparently, they either missed it or the vendor did not think it was a big enough deal to let the customer know. And it turned out it was a fairly big deal to the users, which made the CIO fairly unpopular for a short period of time for, you know, where where, where is this thing all of a sudden? that I used to do this way. Is that an issue that you've seen come up and how do you navigate that? It, it is um, on occasion. Um, you know, I'll tell you that there is a disconnect, I think, between uh, folks who build the software and those who use the software. And I think because of that, that's where, you know, informaticists um, swim, right? They're able to kind of connect the pieces on this. And I agree with what Donna said and what Ryan said around kind of going to them first to understand how effectively it's it's happened. Um, but, you know, I've seen scenarios where things that seemingly were small ended up being big deals. And I think it's primarily because I'll take docs, for example. Um, docs, you know, you're caring for a patient. You're, you're there. In front, it's just you and the patient trying to figure this whole thing out. And all of a sudden, the thing that you're familiar with, that you, you know, you latched onto, you felt some trust for is gone. Right, and you're kind of floating there, and the patient's looking at you, and can see that you're like trying to figure things out. You don't quite have it all sorted out. <laughs> and you're trying to you're trying to portray some level of confidence in your in your competence as a provider, and at the same time, you can't even figure out this user user interface because it's changed. It's a very discombobulating situation for a provider to find themselves in, and so it's really our duty to get ahead of that and to make sure that we've made every effort to inform them about how their workflow specifically will change so they don't find themselves in that circumstance. Yeah, and a and, uh, physician that, that I've spoken with before said the worst thing you can do to a doctor is disrupt their train of thought. Interruptions, disruption, uh, and this, this is exactly that, right? I mean, this disrupts the train of thought. You're trying to focus on a million things to deal with the patient assimilate all the information that's coming in from the chart from the patient to make a diagnosis and boom that just gets blown up right yeah and if you think about the work that the doc does or the nurse does really as it relates to the the uh, interface it's really they're trying to find something or they're trying to do something right and so historically finding things has been awful um you know, if you look at even the best EHRs out there, it's just, it's still not great. It's gotten better over time. Epic has the search feature, which is actually quite helpful. They've done a good job of optimizing that and whatnot. But if you look at, you know, to make search really effective, 
you have to have all the data governance behind the scenes that allows the proper uh, metadata and tagging be able to pull things up in a way that is appropriate for that scenario. And so, um, so there's that piece. And then there's the doing piece. I'm going to order something. I'm going to get something on the record. Same thing there, right? How do we make that be an easier, totally intuitive scenario? I would love it if we get to a point at some point where training is unnecessary, right? Because the, the user interface is just so dang intuitive. You think about, you know, Apple, you know, when they send the updates that Donna was referring to before, right? They don't send you a manual. They don't say go train for 12 hours to learn how to do this new thing. They just make it really intuitive. And if it isn't 100% intuitive, they have ways of kind of, you know, having some pop-ups and whatnot that kind of guide you where you need to go. We're not there yet. We need to get there. Yeah. You know, and I would add too, I think you bring up a good point. You know, one of the, one of the things that I've noticed is, you know, we've designed systems even in Epic, we've designed them so that the information is close to the clinician at that unit at the bedside, right? But if there's anybody that crosses over different units, we make it very difficult. So, you know, take a hospitalist who may cover three, you know, like if they're internal medicine, they may, they may be on two units and we make it very difficult for them to get into that one unit and do what they need to do. And then they have to get into the other unit and, yeah. you know, heaven help them if all of a sudden they have to manage both and say, okay, well, where should a patient go? They may have to look at seven units across the board and go and, and then have to navigate each. So I think, you know, we've done, I think the EHRs have done a good job in meeting the needs closest at the bedside, but it's mm-hmm. this kind of rolling up of the data. Like you said, the search data and making it a little mm-hmm. bit easier. So we have the dashboards that they can look at and go, oh, okay, this is where maybe I can put that patient because there's two openings on that unit versus there's, you know, that the, you know, my other unit is full. And so it's those kind of things that you have to understand the, the difficulties people have run into with the workflows that we've given them in the systems. So it's that, it, it is that constant improvement. Yeah, I want to roll with Donna's point there. You know, I think, you know, kind of beginning with the end in mind, the old Stephen Covey stuff, right? So what do we want this to actually do? Specific for finding stuff, that first bucket. You know, ideally, the doc shouldn't spend their time trying to find something at all, right? It should be, they should be thinking about what to do with that thing that they found. What does that mean clinically and how should they act on it, right? So we should be at the point now, we should have at the point now where we can say, you know, hey, Epic or hey, Cerner or hey, Allscripts, bring mm-hmm. up the last five creatinines of Mrs. Smith. It's a, it's a, a marker of kidney function and graph it out. And then you can look at it. You can see the trajectory. You see a graph. You're like, oh yeah, she's doing fine. Or, oh no, something's going wrong here. Now I'm going to do X, mm-hmm. right? But the the doc is pulling that stuff up and trying to find it still in it. We need to get to that next layer. Yeah. And I, I, I want to add on something because you brought up something, Lee, which is a good point. It's like, okay, now I can graph that, right? If I could do that. And then I can show it to the patient or I can show it to the family and go, okay, see, this is what we're trying to control for. Or to bring up and easily bring up an image to say, look at, 
this is what's what's causing your pain in your back yep. and why you're you're having this kind of um yep, you know exactly. lower back pain and it's you 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 we have to give the tools to support the clinicians as best as possible but then it's this flowing to how do we you know do the teaching to the patient and their family so that they are fully part of kind of that caregiver team right yeah and yeah. that's where it really becomes you know, that's the ideal. That's where, mm. that's kind of where we want to get to. You know, Lee, I'm picturing you actually getting, finding the data on the computer in a difficult way and actually drawing a graph on a piece of paper so you could show the patient. I have done that many <laughs> times. <laughs> you're, okay. Okay. Mr. Smith, you're supposed to be here. You're actually here. We got to do something about that. Right, right. So Ryan, this is, I mean, it's very interesting because what have we done so far in this conversation? We, we're talking about training and from training, we go, yeah, you know, we have to train on a lot of things and it's complicated and it, it's, it's, there's lots of changes that happen. It's complicated stuff. It's not intuitive. That's why we have to have lots of training and we have to figure out if the training's working. And yeah. it morphs into a conversation of God, I wish we, well, this stuff was better so we didn't have to do all this training. Right. It's just a natural outgrowth. But you're here to talk about how the training that is the reality of today based on the tools of today is best done. So any thoughts that you have based on some of the complaints we've heard about the tools to talk more about the training? Yeah, I think the, um, you know, the, the challenges are challenges that are everywhere. And a big part of that in kind of in, in my world is matching up the, um, the processes that exist and the tools. And everybody has different processes. Um, even those departments have different processes. So as I move from one department to another or one location to another, I could actually have different factors which affect the way I do the work, which therefore means the tool works differently because it's just not one, um, one easy flow. Um, and you know, 10 years ago, I worked in finance and um, in that, it was really easy to teach people Salesforce because there was only six roles. Um, and in my first year of working in the hospital, I think I was working on training for 217, I think, and I quit counting at that point, roles. Um, and the processes are more complicated. So going back to the, what a successful training is, successful training prepares people to do the, give them the knowledge and the, the skills to perform tasks. When you really break it down, they need to have the confidence to be able to use the systems in their flow of work as they're doing that. And the best way to do that is that we put them through the classroom, but we know that they don't remember everything from the classroom, that we need to support them in other ways. With informatics, um, we were also talking about help desk with small updates going to the meetings and trying to, to do that continuous training and to develop them and coach them over time and to, and to help them advance to make their life easier. A lot of times when we talk about physician burnout and actually working with those physicians, they're not using the system optimally. So how do we help them use it better so that, they're, so that they, their lives are better? And they're not spending as much time at home after dinner documenting what happened during the day. Can I can I dovetail on what Brian said there? Just a one anecdotal example. And we'll, I know we'll get into this in more detail um, 
in a few minutes. But recently we had a um, physician who um, was experiencing some difficulties with Epic. And finally she reached out and said, look, you know, white waving the white flag, I need some help. So one of our trainers spent one hour with her. And between her in-basket, her note creation, and her order generation, she saved 28 minutes per day of her normal workflow. We measured it. We measured before and after. We used signal data and other data to, to measure it. Given the number of days she works a year, that's 104 hours of time saved by spending one hour with a good trainer who understands your world and can identify the low-hanging fruit and go at it. And so I just think it's just such a great example of um, operationally how we can, you know, training, good training can impact the organization. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, Lee. Um, she, she, it's a she in this case, she raised mm -hmm. the white flag. Um, mm -hmm. and, and let me pivot over to, to Donna um, and let her talk about this. We want to not have to wait for someone to wind to raise the white flag. The data that Lee talked about finding and when he did his measurements, we want to, as CIOs, I would imagine, get some sort of notification that physician so-and-so is spending way more time than the average. We need to reach out and try and do some kind of intervention. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And, and Lee brought this up, you know, using the signal reports. And what's kind of built into Epic is really key. And that's where nursing informatics, uh, especially on the ambulatory side, goes out. They're constantly looking at that. Um, and also then on the inpatient side, the physician informatics works very closely in making sure monitoring that ahead of time. I, I would rather catch somebody, you know, you can kind of see that somebody's having trouble than having them complain or just kind of quietly struggle. Um, you know, that the quiet strugglers are the ones that are going to be the, they're the ones that are getting burnt out because they don't know. I, I think we've done a good job, at least in reaching out and making sure that we're monitoring those reports, which is, you know, it's a test, a little, somewhat of a testament to Epic that they've got that built into the system and, and we can use that effectively. Lee, I will let you, you comment on that, your thoughts. I mean, you, you, when, when you let, when someone comes to you, they're in a position of wanting help. So that's a good thing, right? So rather than you going to them, they may not be ready to get help, but it's good to reach out. But you also, you know, that also means they've gotten to extreme frustration, which is not great. It'd be good to catch them before. What are your thoughts? I, I liken this to um, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, <laughs> somebody has to actually want to do it, to right. make the change in right. order to actually be open to the changes. When we've attempted to do this proactively, which is my my pension as well, just like Donna said, I, I, I love that idea of being proactive. I, the level of engagement can be not what it needs to be. So when you have somebody who finally says, look, I can't take this, I need some help, and they come in, they're open-minded, and they're actually listening, and they're willing to try new things because the old way is, it wasn't working for them, then all of a sudden you have this magic opportunity and this, this very anecdotal, but this particular case really highlighted that. Um, it, I, feel, I feel like this is something that we could probably get ahead of better using different tools. Epic has the signal data, also has for nursing has NEAT data, N-E-A-T data. And then on the inpatient side, they have a tool, but it's pretty clunky right now. Um, 
I don't know if Donna, you're familiar with that or or others, um, but it's it's just not as uh, robust, yeah, as the signal data. So they need to yeah. get there because inpatient obviously is just as important as as ambulatory. Yeah, it's just it's interesting you bring that up because I hear the squawkers more on the inpatient side, right? Because okay. they're like you're here, you, you either hear it through nursing or you hear it through the hospitalists you know, mm-hmm. the uh, individuals on the floor. So it's, a, especially as we go through upgrades, you can kind of feel the heightened awareness. And I think that's, that's why it's nice having a group of informaticists that are, are out there kind of, you know, doing the, their job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Lee, is there a group of, I mean, does it happen sometimes where you hear or word gets to you of a physician Instead of saying, I want help, just going around saying, I hate this, this stuff doesn't work. And then you have an opportunity to make an approach there. It's not that they formally brought a complaint, but you're just hearing this physician is very frustrated. And it's that happened? My, yeah, my situation is a little bit different because I've been a physician here for many years. So I know most of these folks, and for better or worse, they have my text number. <laughs> so I don't just hear about it through the grapevine. Yeah. I, I receive messages sometimes. But one of the things that we instituted last year that's been really helpful has been our rounding and our rounding reports. So we started rounding both on the inpatient side and on the ambulatory side, and we were doing great rounding. We were, we were solving problems, we were identifying issues, getting ahead of issues, but I was still hearing about um, some of the senior executive leaders were, were hearing about anecdotally about things and bringing it to my attention, and they didn't even know the rounding was happening. So I pulled the team together, we had a conversation about it, and we decided to create a template for our rounding reports, hmm. and, that, and that templated rounding report gets distributed on a weekly basis to all of the executives involved. So they can clearly see what clinic was visited, what provider was interacted with, what complaint they may or may not have had, and what the plan of action is associated with that, up to and including ServiceNow ticket numbers. And it makes it really crisp. And I've only one time since then had an executive um, ask me about it, and I pulled up the email that he received, and I asked him to go to the second paragraph, subsection three. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to see what was done about it. So he understood that it was happening. So it was, it's a very effective tool to have those conversations. Yeah, was, actually, go ahead, Donna. Go something ahead. real similar, not, not in this organization, but a prior one where um, we had a mass re- or a revolt around an implementation that we had done of a system. And I, I'm, I'm going to try to keep names out of it to protect the innocent. <laughs> and, you know, I came in and I, and I kind of was the new person in, in the in the situation. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We, we know it's a very specific group of physicians. We're going to go to them and we're going to um, survey them daily. And if they're on do if they're you know on coverage, we're going to ask them, you know, three or four basic questions. And we're going to see how is the performance of the system doing this day? And, you know, what is your likelihood of continuing to use the system? And we, we collected this daily um, information on a daily basis. Then we rolled it up because they, people were just going directly to the CEO saying, you got you to gotta take the system out. And I'm like, right. well, before we do that, that is a huge capital investment and time investment. Let's make certain 
we can't make some changes before we would do this. And I said, and, and also you've got some people who maybe we didn't kind of train them and maybe we didn't bring them along in this process well enough. So let's, you know, yeah, it's after the fact, but let's try to do something. And so um, it definitely shut down some of the discussion or the, I would say the the pathway they made to the CEO, because I got to the CEO before they did with, you know, the daily report of here's the five physicians that were on, you know, on call this day, here's their feedback. And, and I said, be honest, if you don't like it, if it's, if it's bad, tell me, but you got to tie your name to it. You can't be anonymous because <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm, you need to tell me I'm being, I'm being upfront with you. You need to be upfront with me. And sometimes they, they would see the, you know, I had my staff doing this and I'd go out and do it. They'd see us coming and they're like, Oh no, no, it's fine. And I said, well, can you fill out the form? And they're, they're like, okay. I'll fill. And some of them were like, um, I said, but I said, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I came to you and you didn't want to fill out the form because that was our agreement. And so it was a little bit of, it was kind of a tool that I used to, yes, get the feedback, but also kind of circumvent the, the, you know, the pathway to the CEO. So like I had the information ahead of time in terms of how best um, to manage a not so good um, implementation that had happened. And, and they kept the system in place, which was like, okay, well, something worked out. So that's, that's brilliant. I'm going to, I'm taking notes over here, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I will I, share I, my, I will share my <laughs> questions I asked. So I, I want to roll that just for a second, if I could, Anthony, um, back when I was CMIO back in 2015, uh, we had um, two clinics um, call up the CEO of our ambulatory medical group and tell that CEO they were going to quit because Epic was broken and needed to be optimized. There was issues and problems that all needed to be fixed. And so I pulled together a team of um, physician informaticists, small team, four of us, and we went out and spent time with these docs and sat with them in their workflows to understand what was going on. And what we found was that 70%, we quantified this, we made a huge spreadsheet at the time, mm-hmm. 70% of the things that they either wanted us to build or told us were broken actually worked just fine in the system, but they didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. It was a training issue. The other 30% was broken up between you know some optimization that might be nice and also a few break fixes as well, but the vast majority were training related. And so to Donna's point, I really feel like, you know, Going out there, spending time with them, seeing them in their in their workflows is key because you'll number one, you'll gain credibility out of the gate by actually doing doing the work, particularly when you have an executive out there willing to spend time in the trenches with folks who are doing this work. And number two, you'll gain insights that will be very powerful in terms of making improvements. Ryan, I absolutely agree. Um, you know that you know the the way. People's understanding um, is oftentimes one of the things that kind of pulled them back. They're not able to see kind of how something is developed. And it's not always evident, you know, when you're seeing patients, people are bleeding, um, you know, in the hospitals, people are sick. There's a lot of things going on and it, and connections are not always evident. Um, You know, obviously coming from a training side, um, hopefully it never gets to one of those 
type of uh, type of uh, um, actions where things have gone that bad. I'd like to head those off uh, earlier. And I'm just a very large proponent of making sure that we're sharing best practices. How do we actually do that continuous training and finding ways to reach people uh, before it gets it gets critical in those situations? Love loved how you handled it, um, but whenever that happens, really something bad has happened on the training side or the build side before it ever gets to the operational. Can I ask Ryan a question, uh, please? I think. Um, what are your thoughts on gamification of training? In other words, how do we make this stuff fun? Yeah. Or at least, or at least semi-interesting to, to do it for folks. And I think about that because I'm thinking, you know, I got four kids. They all play way too many video games. But I watch right. them as they're navigating it. And they very quickly kind of pick up on the dynamics of the game based on how the game is laid out. It, it's again going back to that intuitiveness of it, but, and it makes it kind of fun as they're learning. What are your thoughts on gamification of training? So, um, gamification is something that I flirted with for a, a long time. Um, I'm not the biggest proponent of gamification. Um, I actually fall into the um, the make make training relevant and as short as possible, um, where gamification. Um, can take that away. Um, I've seen gamification done really, really well and work. You know, the simplest example is like a, a Jeopardy game for to test out. So we recently developed that for a client where new providers come on board, they go through the Jeopardy game, and if they score high enough, they don't need to take the training. They already know the Epic system. So that's an example of gamification where it's worked. But I've also seen it not work and go, well, what does collecting diamonds have to do with my job? And, but I think that there's aspects of it is when you actually need to test someone, gamification is good. But when you're actually teaching them workflows, it, it tends to fall short and, it's, and it often seems a little hokey. Um, on the flip side, badges, people love badges. So um, getting uh, physician champions to create micro learning best practices, to record themselves in a one minute video of, hey, here's how I do it, that we can send out to everyone. And then the more people that watch the video, the, they get a badge. Those people love badges. Uh, they, you know, we were taught from a very young age that the gold star is the thing, right? So you ate all your fruit at snack time, here's a gold star. That, that still works today. Well, Epic. Epic has the power user program, mm -hmm. which is, I think, really effective because, you know, Epic pivoted to the phys physician builder program mm, a decade ago, and it was really helpful for docs to understand how things are built, but didn't necessarily make them better at actually using the software. The power user program is really designed to have docs take their normal use of the software in interacting with patients to the next level in terms of efficiencies that are built in. So, and I think there are some badges associated with that. Yeah, and I think that's a great program. Um, the really, the most successful implementations and rollout of new software is when there's a kind of a three-legged stool between the build team, between the training team, and between the physicians or the users that are going to be using it. And when you have good champions in all three areas, then the rollouts are usually smoother. Yeah. 
Ryan, did you have a question for one of both of, or both of your co-panelists? Um, absolutely. I think, uh, and, and Donna, you had mentioned kiosks. Um, what are these you had just mentioned in passing, but that was one of the ways that you were reaching people. Can you tell me a little bit more about the, the way that you're using kiosks to help train? I believe mentioned kiosks, oh, but um, yeah, but we do have a form of a kiosk in terms of training people that they can do just-in-time training, um, but it's more just-in-time type videos and stuff. Um, and that I, I will put a plug in for, so the University of Utah has one of the largest gamification programs uh, <laughs> in development in terms of engineers and stuff that go through it. Um, and so happy, and we could probably talk a whole thing about that. But I like, Lee, I think I like your, your point of, how can you apply that to training versus kind of more outcome-based, right? Ours is very outcome-based around healthcare. So, yeah. So, Lee, you want to talk about the kiosks at all? Yeah, sure. Um, so we do, as Donnie was saying, it's just-in-time training. And so we set up, um, you know, four or five laptop computers. Um, and we try to put it in opportune locations. So just outside of the surgery bay. Uh, up outside of our ICU and CCU area, and then some of our basic floors. And because we recognize folks work all kinds of hours, right? Healthcare is 24 seven. So it's people who, you know, the only time they're ever gonna get exposure to this is at three in the morning on their break. And so it's a great opportunity for folks to swing by. And even if they pick up, you know, three things from this new upgrade and gets in their brain, it, it can be helpful. And it also, once again, kind of showcases that we're willing to be there at these off hours, willing to, to uh, attempt to, to train to the extent we can. Very good. Donna, did you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? I do, because I, you know, I was thinking about this topic and I, I really do like the topic, but I want to maybe take it to a different level and ask Lee what he's what he might do in his organization. So I, you know, so I'm, I'm a big, I'm always kind of reading. And um, one of the um, books I've read recently is called Beyond Digital. It's out of the, you know, it's a fairly recent publication, 2021, I think it came out. But what I loved about what he talks about, and it's like in chapter seven of the social contract to have with your employees and, and really um, start because we're introducing so many digital tools and mm -hmm. we don't really do a good job of training uh, at all levels around our digital tools. And I think our biggest gap is at our executive level. So my, my mm -hmm. kind of the next level up of the operational manager and then go higher. And I'm just wondering what, if, do you do any kind of training or any executive training around uh, tools and expectation of tools, even your how best to use your dashboards and, um, you know, whether it's through Power BI or, or even into Epic, do you, do you have a program in place? I, I don't, but, you know, as you're, as you're um, describing this, there's light bulbs are going off in my head. It's, you know, if you think about what we need our executives to do, they need to be, you know, deep thinkers, they have to be good communicators, they have to be good leaders. And in order to do all of those jobs, they have to be able to access tools that help right. them understand their world. And all those tools nowadays are digital. So yes. I, I agree with you. If we could put together some sort of um, 
either a boot camp out of the gate for folks or some sort of like continuous training um, that, you know, once a year they sit down for four hours and we, we pound through some stuff. That would be awesome. I, I love where you're going with that. Yeah. I mean, even just, you know, like cybersecurity, we make everybody go through the cybersecurity and then if they get caught in the mm-hmm. phishing, they have to go through the phishing thing. But even just little stuff like on a regular basis, like how do I, how do I run that dashboard and what's that dashboard telling me? And, and just little things that I think there's a gap of people that just don't know. And I mean, I, the people like closest to the units and to the patients, they're amazing what they know. It's there, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a gap happening at the, you know, kind of one level above. So. Oh yeah. I mean, even using Outlook, like effectively using Outlook, right. Or, or creating a team's channel. Yeah. Right. Or just basic Excel. Right. Um, There's a lot of opportunity there for sure. Yeah. Ryan, um, <clears throat> I, we didn't get to much of it, but I know that one of the things you've talked about um, is in the workflow support. Um, that's kind of a unique unique thing in our last webinar. The executives on the line said that's something sounded great to them, but they didn't have it. Um, mm-hmm. Just talk to the audience. Tell us uh, what's available, what can be done, and your just best advice around that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that concept of the just-in-time support, um, it's been mentioned on the call by both Donna and Lee today. And how do we, how do we take learning from after the event? So everyone goes through their, their new class of new software, new hire, but how do we support them when they're actually trying to apply that? There's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, the kiosk definitely love that idea. Um, you know, learn, you know, self-guided learning labs, um, there's also tools, the 314E makes one about how do we connect people to all the information that exists in the flow of work in a way that they can consume it. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of times people go, well, that information's available. Well, when I looked at it, I got a flyer from three years ago where we did heart healthy at a cookout. That was not what I was looking for. And so, but actually getting the right information to people when they need it in their moment of need. Um, The help desk that Donna was talking about is another great example of that. But there's many ways to connect people to the information and digital tools can actually help out, especially ones now that do, that add metadata to to the item that are more self-sustaining. That people and that allows the team to actually deliver all the content exists to the people when they need it, so they can continue their work. All right, we've got time for what I'll call a lightning round uh, of of final thoughts and advice. I'd like to frame it up this way for your comments. Think of wait, a- wait, wait. I, I didn't ask oh. a question. Oh, right. go ahead, Lee. Go Not ahead. Lee. Okay. Go so, ahead. Donna, I went to the University of Utah for undergrad. <laughs> so my question for you is: Have you eaten at the Pie Pizzeria? No, no. I, okay. Be, best pizza west of the Mississippi. Right. Sorry, Anthony. No, no, no. Very good. <laughs> Very good. All right. <laughs> Again, framing up your final comments, I would like you to pretend you're speaking to uh, someone you're in your position at a comparable size organization who feels like they are struggling uh, both with um, making sure everyone who needs to be trained in any situation is getting training. And in addition, they're, they're not feeling great about that. 
They're also not feeling great about the effectiveness of the training that, that they've got going because they're hearing grumbling. Um, so frame up your best final piece of advice for that individual. Uh, Donna, I'll start with you. So probably three-parter. You should be partnering with some medical, whether it's your CMIO, informaticist, that's you're you're going to have the best combination of addressing something by doing that. Uh, get out of your office, start um, doing some listening tours, and start having your hit list of what are the important things. And then, <clears throat> I think applying agile to saying do some quick wins. Turn you know don't don't try to eat the whole elephant. Um, you know get some quick wins and you will. I think quickly see some um, progress made and improvements. Lee, last word. Yeah, I'd start with the why, right? I would, and the why is quantifiable, right? So provider satisfaction, for sure. You can, you can measure that whether you use class or you do something internal. Um, And then uh, looking at signal and other data, you can see efficiency and you can translate that directly into provider turnover, which has a dollar cost associated with it. Plus it's ethically the right thing to do. As well as efficiency, you can identify how much financial benefit there is to being more simply more efficient in the system. Start with that and then build a business case for why you're going to put in place a um, comprehensive plan that improves their experience using the technology. Ryan, final word. On the training standpoint, um, and there's a wonderful model by Kathy Moore. Um, that um, I think should be more famous than what it is. And something that's really helped me is that she envisions a bullseye. If your training's not where you want it to be, start with the business outcome as the bullseye, then figure out what people need to do in the next ring, and then figure out what they need to know uh, outside of that. That'll condense your training and make sure that it's very targeted. Ryan, how do you, do you have the spelling off the top of your head of that name? Um, people um, may want to look that up. is, I think it's M-O-O-R-E. Okay. Kathy Moore uh, out of Australia. Okay. All right. Very good. Anyone wants to look that up? All right. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website, to register for upcoming events. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Donna Roach, Dr. Lee Milligan, and Ryan Surratt. I want to thank thank 314E for sponsoring and you for attending. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.